We're going to be back in this book. It's been a few months. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think August was the last time we were in Mark. Mark chapter 4. It was really good to be with you again. I was away in Skibbereen last week. Um, and the church there, Amazing Grace Community Church, does send their greetings. They appreciate the prayers that we offer for them periodically. Uh, and uh, it's really encouraging work that God is doing uh, in, in Skibbereen. So Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to read down to verse 20. Mark 4, 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him here. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those who outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray one more time together. Father, we do come before you now trusting that your word, your very word, would speak to us. Father, that we would see you more clearly, that we would see our own hearts more clearly because of our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of the couple places in the gospel where Mark gives us kind of a pretty significant content of Jesus' teaching. Um, There's four parables in this section, but uh, often in the book of Mark, you see him referencing that Jesus was teaching, but you actually don't see a whole lot of his teaching in the gospel of Mark. 
We're go- we'll talk a- about parables, of course, because we're in one. But for now, we just need to understand that a parable is te- a teaching tool. It's a teaching tool whereby the teacher uses something in the real world to convey a point or a truth. Uh, when Jesus is using parables, he's, he's conveying a theological truth or a theological point. Often, he's explaining the kingdom of God, faith, or maybe his work or mission in this world. That's what Jesus is explaining when he is giving parables. In verse 2, we see that Jesus is teaching many things in parables. So this is just one. There's a few others that we'll look at next week. But he's teaching many things in parables. He's gone out onto this boat. He's sat down, and this very large crowd is sitting on the shore and listening to him. What we often think is that everyone there is just kind of happily receiving what Jesus is saying. Um, These deep theological truths that he's kind of trying to convey. But as we'll see, parables are not meant to make understanding easier. Let me just say that one more time. Parables are not meant to make understanding easier. That's pretty clear from verses 11 and 12, which we'll We'll talk about at length. Parables actually reveal and hide at the same time. Uh, So they're not the same as an illustration. So an an illustration, which I'll use some, see if you can pick them out in the sermon. Good good sermons typically have illustrations. But illustrations are supposed to make things more clear. They make the obscure things plain. But a parable, as used by Jesus, is often really just to, to separate the curious from the serious. That's what he's doing. The first parable in this section, uh, the one I read, we're quite familiar probably to a lot of us. It's the parable of the sower. The sower is casting seeds. So he's just tossing seeds out, and those seeds are falling in different places. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The soils are the different heart responses to hearing the word. Seed is sown, and it will grow fruit. The kingdom of God is growing. We see that. Seed is taking root and producing fruit. And there is great liberality when you look at where the sower is actually tossing the seed. The path, the rocky soil, the weedy, thorny soil, and then the soft, kind of tilled ground. Uh, the sower may not even be sure what kind of soil it's falling into. Sometimes, uh, you know, you don't always know the soil uh, is, is rocky. You have to start to till it, and then you start to see this is really rocky soil. Sometimes you might not know that there's thorns or weeds until everything starts to grow, and then suddenly you see, oh, wow, there's a lot of mess where I just sowed this seed. We also see here that there is a big emphasis on the failed seed. In fact, most of the seeds fail. And even though this is true, we see that only sowing seed will actually lead to any kind of harvest. No seed, no harvest. In the explanation that was given from verse 13 that Jesus gives, we see that all actually hear the word. Uh, And the parable and the verses that follow are all about hearing the word. How do you hear the word? How do you listen to the word? How do you ingest the word? Is the word growing fruit 
in your life. Jesus beckons them. Look at verse 3. The very first thing he says is, listen, listen. He's almost begging them to hear. He's saying, stop, take notice of what I'm saying because it's really, really important. In fact, this whole parable, it's it's bracketed by listen. And then at the very end, it says, those who have ears, let him hear. Listen, hear. It's the same word. Jesus wants us to hear something. Why the emphasis on hearing? Well, I don't know hearts have really changed for 2,000 years. Our hearts are prone towards deafness, just like the people that Jesus is talking to from this boat on that shore a couple thousand years ago. And I did. I said our hearts are prone to deafness. You may see, think, that, well, like I didn't know that hearts were made for hearing. But we're all aware that our ears can take in noise, but that doesn't mean that our heart is actually listening because our hearts are often deaf and we don't really listen. So this morning, I want you to check how you're hearing the Word of God as you think through the sower sowing seeds into these different types of soils. How well are you hearing the Word of God? Ask yourself that question. How well are you hearing the Word of God? I want to give you two hearing tests that will help you to know and to till the soil of your heart. So first, check your hearing by being a learner. Verses 10 to 12, look at it again. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that... They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, where Isaiah is sent to preach to a people who will not hear him. Uh, There's a contrast here between those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. His followers are asking him about the parables. Uh, That was that they wanted to know. They wanted to ask questions. Uh, Jesus gives them the reason why he uses parables. And like I said earlier, earlier, parables are not, or they're more than illustrations. They're not just illustrations. He says clearly to those around him that to you, to you, he says, these people have come to ask, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. There are some on the inside. There are some in the know, as it were. When you see the word secret, you must not think of how it is today when we think about the word secret. Uh, A secret in the New Testament, or sometimes it's translated mystery, uh, is a truth that was previously unknown. It's not something that's like purposely being kept, you know, quiet and we don't want anybody else to know. That's how we think of a secret. Uh, A secret in in, in the Bible is something that is once hidden, now revealed for God's sovereign purpose. A secret is proclaimed to all, but it is only understood by faith. As Aaron read from Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The kingdom of God advances through miracles, yes, but it also advances through suffering, through dying to self, 
deep sacrifice. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. Not everyone knows about the kingdom because it has to be divinely revealed. Jesus says to those on the outside, everything is in parables. Everything is in parables. The kingdom of God does not make sense to outsiders. The truth is a constant riddle all the time. For outsiders, the truth becomes a puzzle to them. Parables are an indirect means of delivering truth. They reveal and they hide at the same time. Okay, so in the States, most people, as you probably know, are pretty direct. Meaning that they say the truth with a direct verbal message. Would you like a cup of tea? Yes. Would you like a cup of tea? No, thank you. Well, in Ireland, I've found that often the truth is conveyed a bit indirectly. Would you like a cup of tea? Ah, oh, no. A few minutes later, are you sure you won't have a cup of tea? Ah, oh, no, 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 no. And then a few minutes later, I've just after putting the kettle on, can I pour you some tea? Ah, oh, sure, that'd be grand. Uh, there, you see that the uh, American way is just direct. A yes, it means yes, and a no means no. The Irish way, that first ah oh, no was really a indirect yes. I'd love to have a cup of tea, but you know you just need to ask me a couple more times. That is, <laughs> you know, I'm right. <laughs> uh, it also reminds me when we moved to Ireland, uh, like our first few months, we met some neighbors, uh, and we had a good chat outside the house, and then, you know, they said, oh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you in for some coffee sometime. They never had us in for coffee. <laughs> and what I realized later is that there, that was just a really indirect way to say, it's nice to meet you, but we really don't want to be your friend. <laughs> now, I'm getting better as an outsider at understanding and discerning the insider way of communicating here. That's what parables are doing. Parables are communicating truth indirectly. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Well, partly it's because faith is not merely an intellectual pursuit. You don't just ascend intellectually to faith. You will not just suddenly understand the kingdom of God because you talk about sermons, you debate someone, or you read a book. You're blind, and you must be given sight. You are dead, and you must be given life. You need to be born again to understand the kingdom of God. I actually become an Irish citizen tomorrow, which is pretty amazing by God's grace. Uh, and I praise him for that, but that will not make me culturally Irish. That will make, not make me an, an insider. To be an insider, I would have to be born into an Irish family and raised in, an Irish, in the Irish culture. I'd have to be born again to become truly an Irish insider. We've been studying Exodus on Friday nights, and it's similar to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's an, an outsider, but the truth that is literally raining down from heaven on him shows that he's blind. Pharaoh's blind. 
His heart is hard. He's not seeing God for who he truly is, even though the truth is being proclaimed to him by Moses and through these amazing miracles of the plagues. The cloud, the cloud that God miraculously uses after the Israelites leave Egypt, the cloud that God uses to to save and rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians is the same cloud that causes blindness and confusion to the Egyptians. It's the same cloud. It's the same truth coming down. It's, it's, it's saving one group, and it's causing blindness and confusion to the other group. To outsiders, the kingdom of God is a conundrum. Why do you believe that the son of a Jewish carpenter dying on a cross 2,000 years ago means anything, they'd say? How can you expect anyone to hear you when you just close your eyes and say words in your head? Why would you take or not take a raise at work just because you have to miss a few Sundays every month? Why do you get up early and read a really old book? Why do you tear up sometimes when you're singing about someone that you've never even met? Paul teaches this a little bit of a different way in 2 Corinthians. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. The aroma is the same, but to the outsider, it smells like death. To the insider, it smells like life. Are you curious or are you serious? That's what these parables are intended to discern. That is what a parable reveals. That is what any hard truth in the Bible reveals. Are you curious or are you serious? Are you seeking religion or seeking God? Are you seeking earthly pleasures or are you seeking heavenly pleasures? Check the hearing of your heart by being a learner. Asking questions about what you believe means that you actually care to know. The insiders gathered around Jesus here, and they asked him questions, and he proceeds to explain the truth to them. For the insider, the believer, there are things that are just obvious to us too. Believers know that they are sinners saved by grace. That's just something that you know. That creation, you look out there and it screams the glory of God. You look at a tree or a mountain or a lion. We also know that Christ is the greatest treasure imaginable. That's what insiders know. Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The outsider would say, why would you buy the field? It looks ludicrous. But if you know the treasure's there, it's glorious. It's glorious. Believers know that. Hard things should not just be dismissed. In fact, Dismissing hard things is actually very, very dangerous to your faith. Don't dismiss hard things. Dismissing anything of God leads to indifference. Hard things should be pursued. Honest explorers who choose 
to ask questions. Are you asking questions? It is okay not to understand a spiritual truth. Nobody has full knowledge. It's okay not to understand the spiritual truth. But do we care and want to know why we don't understand? Do we, do we want to know more about whatever it is that we don't understand? There are two responses to truth that's hard, or truth in general. One is cynicism and skepticism. The skeptic says, it's all rubbish. The cynic says, the whole of the Christian faith is off and wrong because I know a hypocrite. Just because you don't understand it or believe it doesn't mean it isn't true. And just because you know someone who claims to be a Christian and lives an inconsistent life doesn't mean that the truths of Christianity mean nothing. Everyone's inconsistent. (laughs) Everyone is inconsistent. Christian or not, you do not live according to your values perfectly because we're sinners. That's why preaching is terrifying. (laughs) You stand up here and you proclaim things that you struggle to live by yourself. The second response to truth is prayerful, humble desire to know more and learn more. How do you handle the scandals of the Bible? How do you handle the scandals of your own heart? Jesus says, listen. He says, here, outsiders have been becoming insiders for centuries. If you're in Christ this morning, you used to be an outsider. <laughs> but if you're in Christ, you're an insider. And that's why preaching is so important. Proclaiming truth. And I don't mean just preaching from here. I mean preaching to your friends and family and proclaiming, heralding the truth. You can be in the know. The only thing that you have to do is believe. Check your hearing by asking questions. Be a learner. Be a learner. Secondly, check your hearing by examining your heart. There are four heart diagnoses given in verses 14 to 20. And the problem is not the seed. The problem is the soil, the heart of the hearer. First, verse 15, is the seed on the path. Here, the seed is just snatched away by Satan. You see, some of you fail to believe all that is in front of you, all that God is doing. You're a slave. You're a slave to sin, and the devil leads you. You don't want to see the common grace given to you by God in this world. You claim that all the good that you have is your own doing. You don't want to acknowledge the change you see in your spouse or your brother or your friend that has come to Christ. You don't want to admit that the love you receive from God's people is different than the love that you receive from others. You always find the fault and never see the grace. That's Satan snatching the seed away. The second heart soil is the rocky soil in verses 16 and 17. You claim to be a Christian. You say you trust Jesus, but you have no root. There is no depth to your faith. 
Life as a Christian is hard, or it will get hard eventually, and you will fall away. You will stumble. This often happens to university students when they get to university. Living for Christ is no longer beneficial. It's too hard, so they stop. This person was never actually a Christian, by the way. They just thought they were, and so did others. That's the rocky soil. The third soil is the one with the thorns and the weeds in verses 18 and 19. You have heard the word, but all that is around you distracts and consumes your time and your energy and your interest, and your faith is just not interesting enough to you. It's like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, which we'll get to eventually in three years' time or something. He wanted eternal life, but what Jesus demands of him was just too much. You see, he was rich, and Jesus said to him, sell all you have and give to the poor. And it says the man went away sorrowful because he was rich. His tangible riches, though temporal, fading, and finite, were more attractive and important to him than the beautiful yet intangible riches of the eternal life given by Jesus. This was Judas as well, if you remember. Sitting with the Savior every day, seeing the miracles, hearing the teaching, experiencing the love of Christ in the flesh right in front of you. He wanted 30 pieces of silver more than he wanted Jesus. And these thorns, these weeds, it can be more than just money, fame, Beauty, worldly success, popularity, they can all choke the seed of the gospel in your life. Those people aren't Christians. They love the world more than they love Jesus. Finally, we see the good seed or the good soil. The seed fall on the good soil in verse 20. How do we know it's good? Fruit! (laughs) That's the only way you know it's good is the fruit. They accept the word, and only the good soil produces fruit. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ transforms. It changes you. It brings spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. It makes the outsider the insider. It brings the dead to life. Is the seed of the word sinking into the soil of your heart. Do you even want that? Do you want that? Check your hearing by examining your heart. Fruit bearing is essential to the kingdom of God. Are you bearing fruit? Are you being transformed? You must cultivate the soil of your heart. Kill the thorns, rake the rocks. Listen, hear, hear. This is huge. In this parable, in this parable, the seed fails at different stages, at different times. Think about that. The seed fails at different stages at different times. So on the path, the seed is just snatched away. But in the rocky heart soil, it's received with joy. But there's no root. The seed is failing at different stages. 
This doesn't mean that we can never know whether we are on the inside, whether we are a Christian, but it does mean that we should be constantly and thoroughly and willingly tilling the soil of our hearts. We should never, never have the mentality that that says, oh, if I'm in, I'm in. We cannot say, oh, sure, I've just been baptized, so it's all good. If you are young and just default as a Christian because your parents do, that does not make the soil of your heart good. No one, no one drifts into the kingdom of God. The Bible describes it, the Christian life, as a fight and a race and a war. And Paul tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Listen to the words of Jesus about the soil of the heart. Indifference will lead you to hell. Not caring will lead you to hell. Presuming on the grace of God will lead you to hell. The courage to stand when trial comes is from a deeply rooted faith. The integrity to follow Jesus when no one is looking comes from really deep roots. How do you till and cultivate the soil of your heart? How do you become good soil? Well, the text doesn't speak to that, actually, but it tells us to be careful how we hear. How are you hearing? You can also help others to examine their hearts by sowing seeds yourself. You can be the sower. There will be no harvest, remember, if no seeds are sown. Sowing seeds tests the soil of the hearts of the people around us. When you're casting seeds, it tests the soil of their heart. Are you sowing seeds? Do you love talking about Jesus? I feel like I love talking about Jesus when I'm talking to people that want to listen. That feels easy. Otherwise, I'm not so sure that I want to because it really feels really hard when someone's just combative, or cynical, or mocking. Are we indifferent to the word being sown? Listen, the Spirit of the living God wants to partner with you and with me to sow seeds in this world. That's pretty amazing. That is incredible. That's something you can get behind. That is something to cheer for. Sometimes we are so excited to support and cheer our favorite sport teams, aren't we? World Cup's going on right now. It could be GAA, American football, for a couple people in the room. Scream. We scream with delight when they win. We'll talk about them all the time. And we will cry out in frustration and anger when our team loses. It quite literally ruins our day sometimes when our team loses. Sometimes for men, that's like the only emotion you ever see in them. (laughs) It's the emotion of sport. Are we weeping over the lost around us? Do we trust that planting a seed or, or watering a seed matters? 
I want to encourage us to sow seed unsparingly all the time because you will never know what kind of soil you're, you're sowing into. Don't prejudge the soil. I have found myself through the years making decisions for other people about the gospel before I've even presented the gospel. Have you ever done that? You just assume, oh, sure, they're not going to listen. They don't really care. They don't need Jesus. They're rich. Don't prejudge the soil. I have no idea, and you have no idea what type of soil is around us. No idea. And so we can help others examine their hearts by sowing seed. God alone brings the growth, though. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive the wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. That's amazing. A fellow worker with God. You are not called to know or determine success in your sowing. That's super comforting. <laughs> you are called to just be faithful. One of our pastors in Kentucky said something about evangelism that really encouraged me. He said that we can be dissatisfied in evangelism, but we should not be discouraged. We want a harvest. And so be dissatisfied when there isn't one or when it's not what you desired or hoped for dissatisfaction actually moves us to sow more seed. We are moved to love people and sow more seed because of the gospel. But we don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to be discouraged when things don't look how we desire because it's only God who can give the increase. I don't need to be discouraged by that because it's not my job to give increase. I can't make anything grow and neither can you. But we can sow seeds. We can trust in what Aaron read from Isaiah earlier. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. His word will not return empty. It will either harden a heart or it will soften a heart. What is it doing to your heart? He who has ears, let him hear. Hear the word of God. Let it transform you. That's what Jesus is teaching in this parable. Listen. Listen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you reveal yourself at all. And while sometimes your word's confusing and, and we think about parables and how they reveal and hide at the same time, Father, I don't always fully understand why you do the things you do and yet you do them. But we thank you that any outsider in this room right now can be an insider today because of the grace of Jesus. Help us to examine our hearts. Help us to, to learn and be learners. Help us never to be complacent in our faith. Help us to never be indifferent. Help us never to presume on your grace, but to constantly want to grow, 
to want to serve, to want to sing, to want to share. We want to be a people that is completely devoted to loving and serving you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.